You are listening to The 1% Christian, the daily Bible study where we get together for 1% of our day. We study God's Word, then we head out to the remaining 99% to do something amazing with this life that God's given us. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio with Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. Check us out at soh.church, and while you're there, download our free mobile app. There's a digital Bible on there that you can use to follow along. All of our teachings, our worship is on there. If you are listening anywhere where you get your podcasts, like, share, subscribe, turn on your notifications, leave a five-star review. All of that helps us to grow this study and get in front of more people, and we don't want you to miss anything as we continue through the Gospel of Matthew. We are starting Matthew chapter 20 today, and we are moving this right along. A few minutes behind, technical issues, as always. I tell you what, at the end of this whole thing, and I hope it doesn't end, I want to keep going uh, and eventually get through the entire Bible, or at least the entire New Testament with you. Uh, That is a goal of mine, so hold me to that. But uh, I will probably be a sound and video technician at the end of this. I'm not saying I'm good at it now, but I'm saying, you know, you you hack at something enough and you get there. Awesome. So we are, again, starting Matthew chapter 20, and uh, we just finished a section of Scripture where we see the disciples ask a question. Maybe it was indirectly, but Peter asks a very bold question. He basically says, what's in it for me, Lord? What's in it for us? What's We've left everything for you. And of course, that was in reaction to what Jesus said concerning the rich young ruler and how the rich young ruler just kind of walked away when Jesus had said, hey, why don't you sell everything that you have and, and follow me? Uh, and that was something that he did not want to do. So Jesus, what, goes into the description of how it is easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. And we went through a couple different way, reasons and context of why Jesus used that example. But ultimately what he was saying is that riches, although it's great to have stuff, come with pitfalls, right? Because if we start relying on the natural things of life, the material things of life, more than we rely on God, we get into trouble, and we miss opportunities, right, like the rich young ruler did. So Peter was probably speaking for everybody because looking at what it meant, they they thought that physical wealth, notoriety, admiration of others was equivalent to being blessed by God. Jesus was correcting that and says, what's in it for us? And what does, you know, Jesus say to them, right? Whoever will be first will be last is none of you that have given up anything for me that will not have it returned a hundredfold. And we like to use that hundredfold, uh, you know, a little bit uh, in it's interesting ways in modern day church, right? Yeah. Give to my cash app and, and uh, you'll get a hundredfold. I won't even, I won't even start this morning because I could go down that, that vein. We've got, we've got the Bible to study here. So Jesus reassures them like, hey, you're going to get taken care of. You never will be disappointed if you follow me. And I shared with you yesterday that anytime I ever gave up anything that I wanted or I was clinging to, to 
follow God or to give to others or to just follow what God's will was. The only regret I have ever had in my life was not doing it sooner. So now we go to Matthew chapter 20. Okay. Matthew 20 starts with a parable. So Jesus is now, of course, reacting to their what's in it for me attitude. And he tells a parable. Now, what is a parable, right? We've gone over several of them. A parable is the, it is a story with an intended underlying moral or meaning. Uh, And often the teller, Jesus in this case, will use things that they will, that are totally relatable, right? So Jesus goes back to the kind of old faithful of relatable here and goes back to farming and and a vineyard. But he wants to teach them, right, that it's not all about what's in it for you because Jesus doesn't want them to fall into the same traps that the religious leaders fall into. And what were some of those traps? Wanting to be higher and mightier and more holy than others, right? They were annoyed by new converts, they seemingly loved to reject those who were around them that were possibly even new to the faith or didn't even basically prohibited them from getting close. I mean, that was the whole temple idea. There was certain sections of the temple and there were requirements to get in. Jesus was shattering that paradigm because everybody could get to him. In fact, not only could everybody get to him, but Jesus himself would walk up to a leper where the Pharisees would tell the lepers, stand over there and yell, unclean, unclean. That's not how Jesus worked. But we see, as we have in the past couple chapters, the disciples almost going down that same route, right? The little children come up. They they try to shoo them away. The woman, the Canaanite woman, right, who had her daughter sick, who was calling out to Jesus. They said, just send her away. She's following after us. The people in the field that were hungry that Jesus wanted to feed, and it was like, where are we going to get all this bread for all these people, right? They, they were, start, they were kind of stuck in that, right? They were lowly fishermen just a little bit before, and now all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they get a little notoriety. They're walking around with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and what happens? They get on their high horse a little bit. Okay? So let's get in and let's study the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. This is Matthew chapter 20 starting with verse 1. We'll read through. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, which is a day's wages, for the day and sent them into his Vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. So you had like a morning crew, right? Jesus, uh, imagine, uh, pulls up to Home Depot, so to speak, and there's folks waiting there at the crack of dawn, and he says, Let's go. Let's work, right? That's what he's saying the the landowner did here, okay? Then a couple hours later, about three hours or so, 
goes back because there's a lot of work to be done. You had to get the harvest in before the rains. Otherwise, everything got destroyed, right? They would have understood that because they understood farming. So they go and they find people and they he says – the landowner says, hey, you need work? Come on. Let's go. So they join the workforce and he promises to, to pay them well. Then he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. At about five in the afternoon. So imagine this. He, like the end of the day, he went out and he found still others standing around. And he asked, why have you been standing out here all day long? They were willing to work, right? And they answer, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go also to my vineyard. So you see what's happening here. The landowner in the parable, right, and this is relating to the kingdom, and we'll put all the pieces together here in a second. The landowner goes out multiple times in the morning, in the in the early morning, in the morning, midday, a uh, little later in the afternoon, and now right at the end of the day, he goes and scoops up a couple more workers. Must have been a lot of work to get done. So let's continue reading here. We are on verse 8. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. I love the visual here. We'll get here in a second. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon, right at the end of the day, came in and each received a denarius. Now, I want you to imagine what it was like. So he, they, he lines up the ones that were just hired to the ones that were there from the wee hours in the morning, right? They've probably eaten breakfast, lunch, and dinner right there on the job site. So they're probably at the end looking over and thinking to themselves like, oh, all right, I wonder what we're going to get because we were here all day. They just got here. Okay, let's keep reading. So when those who were – who, um, so when those came who were f- hired first – They expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only an hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. So they said, we were in the thick of it. We were in the heat of it. And they're going to get paid the same amount as us. But he answered one of them. I'm not being unfair to you, my friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? See, this was a, this was the reward, right? Take your pay and go. I want to give the last one hired the, the same as I gave you. Don't I have a right to do that with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Or in some uh, translations it talks about, or do you have the evil eye, right? The evil eye was an idiom. I, I didn't realize I didn't pull that translation because I want to talk about that. It was, uh, it was a saying in ancient Judaism for envy, right? You ever hear that term evil eye? That's where that came from. So the landowner's like, why are you giving me the stink eye here for, for paying people? Isn't that my right? Are you envious of me because I am generous? And the final verse here, which we've heard before in verse 16, so the last will be first and the first will be last. 
See, you see what's happening here? And when, anytime we read a parable, right, we have to look at audience relevance, right? So, so we see, let, let's look at the audience relevance of what's going on. What is the covenant purpose for this? or the initial audience relevance. What What is the kingdom principle, right? The kingdom is all about ushering in God's new covenant, right, where all people have the opportunity to live in righteousness, peace, and joy, right? You and I live in this now. We have the opportunity to live in righteousness, peace, and joy. We just have to grab hold of it, right? So we see that there are people who are here from the beginning, those who are there midday, and those who are brought into the fold at the very end, okay? So this parable has what's called eschatological, we use that word sometimes, eschatology, study of the end time, right? Study of the end of the age, eschat, end of the age, right? We see that there were people being brought in right at the end of this thing. And what's going on in that generation, right? In that first century, the old covenant is transitioning over. And what do you see? You see the Pharisees rejecting anyone who wants to get close to God and taking the posture of, hey, I've been here, we've been here the whole time. My ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they laid the foundations. And, uh, you know, we've been here and we're working in the temple and we are the holy of the holy people and all this stuff. And they, what did they do? They were rejecting everybody that Jesus was wanting to sit down and bring into the fold. And wait, I don't even think they fully understood at this point that everything was getting opened up to the Gentiles. I mean, we do see Gentiles, right? The Canaanite woman, the centurion. We, we see uh, the Samaritan woman at the, at the well. We see Jesus blessing non-Jewish people, right? So he's, he's showing them this, whether they understand it or not, right? So, so he's showing them the immediate audience relevance is, hey, we're ending this age that you're in now, and we're bringing new people in right here at the end. And don't begrudge. Think about it in the context of the disciples just saying, what's in it for me, right? You could see how what's in it for me would go, would go down the vein of, hey, I'm more special than other people. And Jesus is saying, mm -mm, no, no, you, you, you're not, okay? You're not. The kingdom is for everyone. So how do we go ahead and, because what we have to do, we have to look at the audience relevance of a parable, right? We have to look at the kingdom principle, how would it apply to the new covenant, and then the kingdom application. How do we apply this to us today? Well, I would position that we need to look at others, not as our competition, but as our brothers, as our sisters, as our sons, as our daughters, if it, if we think we're in competition, look, if we think that we are in competition with others, we are in error because that is fighting for God's grace. That is fighting for God's blessing. And this is where another example of a parable where a parable is the imperfect 
really trying to describe the perfect, right? Because here we have people working for the reward, okay? The reward is already had, and we don't have to work for it, right? God's grace is not something that you have to work for, but this is a way to get them and us to understand, right? Because if you're going to pursue God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, there is going to be an element of cultivating and working in your life. And are you willing to put in the work in the heat of the day, right? To get into the heat of it, to see some, to see others saved. Are you willing to put in a life's work to reach somebody on their last day and bring them into the kingdom of God and lead them to the knowledge of Jesus? See, we can't have the posture that people are our competition, right? Brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, think about your children. Don't you want your children to have more than you've ever had? I want my kids to be infinitely, well, I use the term blessed more than me, but to, I, when I say that, I mean to really understand the kingdom principles at an earlier age so that they can have more righteousness, peace, and joy. It took me a while. It took me getting beat up a lot. It took me succumbing to a lot of my own mistakes for a long time. I don't want that for my kids. I want them to be able to, you know, embrace Jesus earlier in life than than I did, and even greater. I, I hope you hear my heart here, because it ends with this, right? The first will be last, and the last will be first. What Jesus is sharing with the disciples here, sharing with us, is... It's not about what you deserve, because at the end of the day, right, all of us sin and fall short of God's glory. None of us deserve his grace, but that's why grace is grace. Grace is more than we deserve. So we should applaud when others are brought in. See, the Pharisees were the type that where when you showed up to the temple, everything that you ever did was now a mark on you that couldn't be wiped off right? This is going to be a confrontational statement. If I could go back in time, give it up all up, I'll live my whole life just to reach Hitler in his last dying breath and lead him to Jesus, I would do it, right? That may shock you. That may challenge you. But how big is God's grace? God's desire, according to scripture, is not one to be lost. And he uses me and you to reach people. I know that sounds pretty shocking. But I believe it breaks God's heart to lose anyone to evil. For us to live a life that's not with him. Right? And if somebody accepts, lives a terrible life but accepts him, as a bu- at the, accepts him at the buzzer... You know, there's people that get upset about that type of thing. Not me. Not me. Not me. Because eternity is a heck of a lot longer than however we live on this big bowl of mud. And I believe that God desires the hearts and minds of everyone, even the people we don't like. So let's not be in competition with one another. Amen.
Let's be excited for those who have been walking with us this whole time. And let's also get excited about reaching those who have not accepted Christ. And let's go. We don't need to be, we're not an entourage of Jesus. We're a duplication of him. We're as best as possible. We're an imperfect replica of the perfect son of God. And we have an opportunity each and every day to get out of the four walls of whatever buildings that we're in and to reach people for him. Amen. So I hope that that clarifies the parable for you. I love you guys very much. Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your kingdom principles. We thank you, Father God, that it's never too late to enter into your field and to be blessed by you, to gain salvation from you, to be rescued from our own mistakes and our own destruction, Lord God. You are the Redeemer, Jesus. And we put our faith in that today. Let us all go out from this place and let us take this parable to heart where we are excited to see others come to you at any stage of their life, no matter where that they've been before, no matter how much work we've put in in the heat of the day, we work in the heat of the day so that we have the opportunity to celebrate with you as others come in. You pursue the one while the 99 are there and you celebrate the one. Let us be the 99 that celebrates the one as well. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio, Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. Check us out, soh.church. This is the 1% Christian. We're going to continue with Matthew chapter 20. Remember, 100 starts with one. Go out and do something amazing for Christ's sake. Love you guys.